can also become a festival of sorts for Delhi, where the citizens are also brought on board and told what kind of progress has happened in one year. So, you know, these are new ideas that have come in. Hello and welcome to the season two of Understanding the Future. I'm your host, Punit Gandhi, and Climate Center for Cities is excited to bring to you a podcast about the future of work in the field of climate change, urban development, sustainability, and innovation. We will talk to experts working on ground as well as in the top management of government and non-governmental organizations to better understand how the field looks like in future. This will help us in preparing to enable climate actions as well as gauge the type of skill sets and jobs that would be required in future to solve complex challenges. If you are listening to it for the first time, do tune into season one. In the last episode, we had a super interesting conversation with Kanak and Village. The master plan is focusing uh, more on promoting industries that are cleaner, that are greener. So uh, uh, by cleaner, we mean more like IT, cyber, tech, and all of that. And by greener, we mean industries related to recycling or industries related to production of stuff within uh, Delhi itself, like using uh, people producing stuff at home, that whole concept of made in India and all. And uh, greener also means food production within Delhi, like uh, urban farming for the first time, Delhi master plan has brought in uh, agriculture as as an activity within city limits. Otherwise, generally, it was like development slash development and agriculture. So agricultural land came under development. But this time, the master plan does talk about urban agriculture, where food production, food security, all of these are terms that are mentioned. However, some of these are still things that will evolve over time. And the master plan with its, you know, the implementation process also mentions how the master plan can take a U-turn, is a flexible document, take a U-turn, reevaluate, recalibrate, and, you know, go back to the public again, depending on how, change, how you know, what kind of changes happens and happen in needs uh, of people, aspirations of people, the, the kind of importance Delhi uh, acquires uh, regional importance, global importance. That kind of flexibility is there in the master plan to accommodate all of this and and rethink and or reinforce all of these ideas that have been put in, but are not completely like I wouldn't say that they are completely detailed out. How this will happen is not completely detailed out, but the these ideas are there now. I hope you enjoyed the second part of the episode. The question is that how uh, is the implementation framework being thought about and to make sure that uh, the whole feedback loop can also be taken into account because this is a 20 year long plan and things might change in future. So what all things are being considered while uh, implementation is being done, uh, how the feedback loops will uh, be taken into account while implementation is being done? And what are the checks and balances for the same? So the big change that the plan wording is moving from an output-based framework to an output-based framework. Already touched upon it sometime, but just to reinforce it again. The idea is to say that, you know, rather than trying to measure how many houses we built or how many sewage treatment 
very specified metrics and indicators on an annual basis or on a monthly basis or on a daily basis, whatever the period is that we have to consider. Such that the planning agency or the the, the technical components of these committees at any given point in time have enough solid data available that's very real time and updated to make uh, uh, changes or to take plans. So the data protocol became a third big element that we have The fourth element was to say that DDA's own role uh, kind of transformed from somebody who was actively acquiring land and planning it to becoming a, a really a facilitator. Now, as a facilitator, what would it do? It would not only facilitate industry and academia and research around uh, planning practices, but it would also actually help stakeholders on the ground uh, take up local area planning for their own sites or things like that. So, and third, also become this whole uh, technical unit that drives uh, uh, monitoring of the planning. So, really, these four five pieces work. So, either was to set up DDA that way and create specific units in it. Uh, and the fourth big thing I think really is, is to drive citizen engagement with constant. So, uh, uh, perhaps Kanak can also dwell on that a little more. But, you know, there is a portal, the idea that citizen engagement cannot be restricted just to the plan making process. It will have to spill over into the entire 20 year plan implementation process. And how does one begin to do that? Uh, to begin with, mm-hmm. one small start that has been made is to create a citizen engagement portal which uh, is expected to last the entire planning uh, period. And citizens can participate both in terms of causing uh, complaints, pointing out issues, as well as coming up with ideas for their uh, neighborhoods and how they can do it. So really, it's a very broad spectrum kind of implementation that they can do. Yeah. So, uh, Nilesha said it all about what what our thoughts were uh, when when we were uh, formulating this uh, chapter on implementation. It was based on our experience of four years with the with the planning agency, and also realizing that the planning agency never imagined this role. Uh, historically, it has known to acquire it is known to acquire land, develop it, and dispose it of. So. Any any planning agency in India is used to that kind of a role. So there was nobody actually looking at what you were doing. and uh, but, but, you know, they had standards and processes. So everything was provided for. All facilities required for a particular population uh, for, for an area being developed were provided for in, in the plan that was prepared by them, in the development that was uh, undertaken by them. After this, these houses and these facilities and these lands for hospitals, etc., were sold off. And this entire area uh, would come under the municipality, uh, municipality's jurisdiction for maintenance and all of that. And and taxes would start to, uh, you know, be paid to the municipality from the citizens. This is the process that has generally taken place. Now, what has happened is the whole paradigm has changed. Uh, given the dis- the global discourse of land rights, as well as you know, uh, at India level also the 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 change in the policy of land acquisition, which favors the landowners more than the public agency, has has brought about this paradigm shift. So what is now happening is acquiring land from uh, original owners of land has become extremely tedious and difficult. Unless you can prove, unless an agency can prove that this is 
for a public purpose without which the public cannot function you know like the metro for example the metro uh, the dmrc had that sort of an authority from the central government to acquire land to lay the metro in delhi however that that uh, power does not no no other public agency is able to uh, uh, exercise that kind of power unless given special approval by the central government so in this scenario in this change scenario delhi development authority also has to change the way it functioned for so many years so it has to now become more of a regulator of development that will happen by a uh, private enterprise or by you know citizens getting together uh, looking at an area together and saying okay we would like to uh, regenerate this area these buildings can stay these are fairly new these buildings will have to go and you know looking at the master plan we would also have to give 20% of the area as greens so you know getting all of that together and to regulate uh, this development to see whether they are following all the norms or not is the new role of dda another hat that dda will now be wearing is that of a facilitator so you cannot just leave it on the people to read the master plan to understand it and to also apply all the norms on the development that is coming up you have to also get people together otherwise huge areas of delhi i mean uh, you know if if you can you can of course always reconstruct on your own small plot but if you want to regenerate larger areas in delhi you will also have to become a facilitator as a as the planning agency to get all different people on board that you know this is this is how this area will uh, uh, get developed this is how you can go about it Th- these will be the processes that you will have to follow these are the approvals these are the norms that apply so i think uh, the implementation and monitoring framework also takes into account this changed role of dba so to to be able to uh, to be able to serve this purpose dba will have to get together with these agencies on a regular basis so what the master plan also proposes is that an yearly conference or an yearly meeting you know in 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 meetings with uh, the lieutenant governor and the vice uh, chairman of dda it's also been suggested that let it be called the delhi day or the delhi week you know for for everybody and it won't only be for agencies while for a week maybe the agencies can meet compare notes see what has developed in delhi what kind of you know whether whether the objectives are being achieved or not what, uh, you know whether the different committees that have been set up whether the kpis are being uh, you know followed up or not monitored or not all of that can happen but it can also become a festival of sorts for delhi where the citizens are also brought on board and told what kind of progress has happened in one year so you know these are new ideas that have come in it still remains to be seen what will happen next year when this plan is one year old but fingers crossed this is how it's going to now happen because delhi development authority is no more going to develop delhi it is going to facilitate development in delhi so so i hope uh, we hope that uh, this implementation and monitoring framework that we've created will bring about this convergence of objectives of different agencies and will bring about citizens uh, will bring citizens on board and 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 development can be sustainable and all of that 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 has been envisaged for delhi yeah so just to build on what kanak was saying you know uh, the the master plan after it was released as a draft has received uh, uh, a lot of comment on 
the fact that you know it doesn't lay out a very clear stringent implementation plan or that it doesn't give very clear financial outlays of what it might cost to get the plan implemented and i think that was very very conscious and i think it's important to note that it was a very conscious decision not to do that because of the sheer complexity of delhi and if we would have kind of come up with a very strong linear implementation framework as well as a capital investment framework i think it would have straight jacketed the plan in many ways uh the idea was to create an enabling enough framework and a uh, enabling transparent and i would call it accountable because when people are expected to meet and report to the public on a annual basis it changes the ball game completely it it you cannot escape accountability because then you would have to and uh done only from a master plan perspective that your master plan said this what have we done this year in that in that uh, direction so it kind of sets in an accountability framework and then how much budget am i allocating you also have to understand a lot of these agencies that work in delhi operate under very different central ministries for example so you know their budget allocations other priorities that play on them are all all completely uh, uh, sometimes tangential to each other so the idea was to not uh you know fix it to or make it so rigorous in the plan because uh, remember it's a statutory document to not make it so stiff and rigid that it uh, doesn't then allow implementation on the ground so it was a very conscious decision to create just a larger enabling framework and leave the uh, budgeting or the actual projectization uh, decisions or the process decisions uh, to these committees uh, which in any case are Uh, a, a very uh, complex multi-agency kind of frameworks. So, just wanted to kind of sum sum up that it was a very conscious decision to do that. Yeah, and so here here it makes it interesting, and that is where I want to bring out the last question as well. Uh, that we ask everyone that why we develop this whole master plan. There is something on the skills part that would be required, and. Uh, what are the, and this is where the podcast is also saying that what is the future of work in the city is being developed so when we are talking about uh, developing master plan uh, what are the skill sets that would be required to develop this thing uh, i'm i'm not going to say that there can be a part of it which you can also answer on the line that the new kind of jobs that might come up in future in the city but also what are the different kinds of skill sets that would be required to you know uh, develop such a master plan and what all other things can come up into the ecosystem for this well i think it's a damn good question honestly because uh, the master plan as an instrument is undergoing such fundamental changes that i think the 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 group that's really putting the master plan together would have to look at skill sets that go beyond uh, classic uh, uh, planning framework so uh our team for instance uh has had a mix of planners urban designers geographers economists uh, we didn't really have a social scientist but but uh, i think it's important to to probably bring in social science as well to bear on planning decisions but you know i think this question also has to be tackled in multiple ways one is the question of who's making the plan and what skill sets does that agency need to have or that unit need to have but the other is also to reimagine what kanak was saying for example and which i also said earlier is the role of dda or the role of the planning agency itself which is going to run with this plan which is going to actually be the custodian of the plan that itself is undergoing change uh, 
So, for example, you would have to have very robust geospatial analysis abilities as part of DDA, not just a plan making or policy writing <laughs> uh, ability, but very strong geospatial analysis abilities. You would have to have very strong project development and project uh, financial analysis kind of abilities. You would have to have very strong community engagement abilities, which if you have to really play the role of a facilitator. So, uh, I think DDA as well as well as uh, master planning units in the future would have to be really multidisciplinary units that package a lot of these uh, multiple skills. For that matter, our team also has had an environmental sense, you know, just to think through environment, not just as a piece of land, but as a set of multiple correlations that come together to to uh, interact with a, with city space. So that ability to really translate all of those things into a spatial logic you require an environmental scientist to be a part of the team. So you really, you, you really do require a very large spectrum of people coming together now for if master plans really have to be revisioned or, or restructured as, as uh, devices that are also able to give us a lot of strategic outcomes and not just land-based regulatory outcomes. Kana? Yeah, yeah. I uh, completely agree with Nilesh. And uh, a couple of things we learned on our way to the uh, to the preparation of the master plan are also that there are points at which you would need special skills like at the time when we were uh, doing the public engagement we really did it with our own resources like you know urban planners and urban designers designing a program to engage with public we really wanted people with communication backgrounds and all of that to to pitch in you know Something like a digital marketing person, not marketing in that sense, but to, to spread the word about the master plan to as many people as possible was something that was done by us, um, you know, because it was, we really wanted to do it and it was a requirement by us for this plan to become really inclusive and, and public friendly. We wanted to do it and we did it as a team, but we missed on having you know we we really wanted to have such people on board it was very difficult to, so it's not only about the new kinds of skill sets that are required for the entire duration of plan preparation but also what are required at certain particular points like we had uh, we had a team member who was from a background of economy but not necessarily urban economy so you know urban economics is a subject that needs to be talked about in india more because economists talk about cities in India, you can you can look at articles in newspapers and all. A lot of articles about cities are written by economists rather than planners or urban designers. The reason being that they are looking at the city from the perspective of, of economy, from the perspective of how much GDP is there, what kind of growth trajectory the city has. But the planners are also looking at the city as a piece of land where a lot of functions are being performed. So the growth trajectory will be impacted by what what the city, how the city will develop, what all functions the city will uh, serve. So I think it's important to have all of these disciplines, like a multidisciplinary team is okay, but all of these disciplines to actually converge, people have to start talking, planners, urban designers who are uh, traditionally related with plans have to start talking about the city. I think this podcast is an amazing, you know, initiative and, and, uh, and we are quite fortunate to be 
one of the I think one of the first people to talk about master planning, which generally people think of as a very you know like okay very technical kind of thing, but it isn't that technical. You know when you when you start talking about it, when you start uh, you know strategizing about the city, it's the people also. People also have given us ideas uh, that has have been incorporated in the master plan. So you know the skills that are required specifically uh, are planning planners, urban designers, um, and yes, geospatial skills are required for the entire duration. But other skills like communication you know, urban economics, all of these expertise and, uh, you know, uh, this has to come in at different points of the plan. We really thought uh, a much larger public engagement could happen if we had those kind of communication experts in the master plan. Uh, on a, Just on a lighter side, you know, technocrats, uh, planners, uh, urban designers, we are always used to kind of working in studio environments perhaps and, and kind of speaking Speaking about what we think to others, I think I think one of the big skills, if one was to just talk about skills, is the ability to be able to listen. And I think this plan has really taught us, and I think Kanak really stressed on that also, that we really learned a lot what, from what people were saying. Uh, and people were actually not, not just speaking uh, general things, but they were actually telling us what part of the plan, which clause of the plan they could probably change or and how it would impact them. So I think the ability to listen, I, even as as people coming from very strong technical backgrounds. I think that ability to listen is something, uh, is an essential skill uh, that's required uh, for, I think, all disciplinarians to, to cultivate it as part of the planning process. There's also another thing that skills are one thing, but the, you know, the importance of having a dedicated team, which in this case we were fortunate to have for the entire duration, is is extremely important. It cannot happen, you know, there will be loose threads and there'll be these disruptions if, if people in the team are changing constantly. So I think a sort of dedicated, committed team for the entire plan preparation process is a necessity. And at the same time, a dedicated team in the planning agency. Suppose if this kind of a, you know, like NIA collaborated with DDA for the preparation of this plan. But if DDA was doing it on its own, then DDA should have such a dedicated team. Then that team cannot be involved in other stuff that DDA does. So there are so many departments. There are court cases for which, you know, officers are appearing. Uh, these agencies are really overburdened with a lot of administrative stuff. But if plan preparation is happening, then there should be a dedicated team for for that particular activity. It cannot be involved in. So that's why this probably worked much better the the DDA and IUA collaboration. So this is just, you know, I'm, we are just sharing our thoughts because you asked such a question. And it, it's an interesting question, in fact. One should probably write about what kind of multiple disciplines and, you know, how much of their, you know, how, how, for how much time will they be required? This should be written about. I think it would make, make a great article. Yeah, that's that's a kind of idea that we also try to cater with this podcast. That uh, what is the future of cities and what is the future of work in cities uh, in general. So we touch upon all different kinds of topics and uh, we go in depth about each topic and then come to the point of uh, what are the skill sets for that, so that we can map it in a better way. Uh, let's just put it in a simple terms that uh, everything possible. Thank you so much, Kanak and Nilesh. If I have missed out on any particular point 
on the development of master plan and you would like to share i think uh, this can be the last segment before we end it so i was just telling you puni that uh, you know mobility is something that's you know that we call the backbone of the master plan and on about which we did not probably delish did touch upon it but with respect to transit oriented development but apart from that also because uh, this is uh, you know you asked a specific question about environment and sustainability i'm saying that this is one of the areas that is going to contribute a lot towards reducing ghg emissions because the plan focuses on a shift from private modes of transport to public modes of transport for every project large large scale project like any sector that comes up for development or any larger a large area that comes up for development walkability plans so plans for uh, you know plans that show a network of pedestrian uh, streets are a must now they've been made mandatory by the master plan similarly cycling uh, plans are mandatory made mandatory by the master plan for any uh, large projects like a sector or a, or a big development scheme so this will encourage people to use non motorized transport and electric vehicles also have been and not only electric vehicles but as you know we are uh discovering new new fuels more uh, environment friendly fuels any such kind of infrastructure that is developed for transport should be flexible enough to be used by the next you know discovery that is made so if, for example if some sort of hydrogen fuel is promoted after electric ve- vehicles that infrastructure should be usable uh by by the new uh, modes of transport that are promoted by the by the government so so you know this shift is something that is being envisaged through tod and through provision of this uh, this kind of these kinds of you know what is called the right of way row uh, you will find that this is one of the most used terms in the master plan document if you do a word search so the row is the right of way so a right of way is if you look at the road what all is the road covering so the right of way has been defined by this master plan in a in a detailed way so right of way for private four wheeled or two wheeled vehicles is there but now there is mandatory right of way for pedestrians or cyclists or non motorized transport for people who have uh, you know people with disability who are using uh, wheelchairs or other such stuff for muz like multi utility zones these are called where vendors and and such informal sector can can sit for facilities like public toilets for facilities like uh, you know pollution tackling uh, devices and and other safety features like cameras and all for all of this an muz has been proposed in the master plan within the right of way so this goes to show like this is an illustration to show that uh, the city is not going to be a city of cars anymore and in 20 years to come probably a lot of people would have shifted to public modes of transport or non motorized transport modes nilesh you also if you have any other point that we may have no so uh, you know the what you spoke about also uh, makes me realize that you know we didn't point out the fact that this is probably one singular master plan that has a dedicated chapter on public spaces and i think it's important to note because uh, the team has valued public spaces uh, as one of the most important concerns for cities to remain active and vibrant on the one hand but to also remain extremely safe for everybody 
so uh, it talks about public spaces it talks about how new plazas can be created uh, kanak spoke about muzs and how streets can be made active but it also for example pegs the idea of a 24 city it talks starts talking about a nighttime economy coming into play uh, identifying circuits uh, to begin with where you know certain public areas and certain uh, businesses etc can be allowed to operate through the night we can have festivals around them one can have some kind of circuits that are operating throughout the year around certain themes so the idea of you know really activating the city at night which has a direct impact on safety and security perceptions uh, of the city also is something that i think this is one of the few plans or i probably would put my neck on the line and say the only plan as we as of now that really has a dedicated chapter on on public spaces and i think i think uh, we should record that as part of this podcast Yeah. and uh, honestly i think i think just would like to say one thing that that was really fascinating as part of this entire process for us is that i think as part of the plan making process punit uh, we were really able to reach out to a lot of people in the city a lot of very very different stakeholders ranging from hardcore government departments to uh, civil society to actual citizens uh, talking back to us and i hope this conversation continues because you know this conversation should not close you know the energy that the plan making process generates should not uh, diffuse after the plan is out in the public domain that energy is something that can actually carry the implementation of the plan in the truest sense forward and really that's the hope that these these frameworks for engaging not just the private sector for construction of roads and uh, other things or creating new development but with citizens with the local uh traders association and so on and so forth these engagements if if somehow these frameworks can really solidify and become stronger over time i think that would be the success of this larger enabling framework that the plan will really propose yeah in fact during the public engagement process process uh, you know uh, we had specific engagement with the youth and uh, the youth of the team interacted with the youth of the city and uh, it was it was quite quite a fascinating exercise because the youth themselves and asked for a couple of more meetings they said you know you focused on youth but let's focus on areas that you know areas that are important for you so then the meetings started focusing on work what kind of economic opportunities are there for you what kind of educational you know opportunities are there what you know where can you where are youth living are there enough hostels in the city because not every youth wants to not everybody wants to have a house a big house or a, so what kind of small format housing can you know so many ideas came from uh, these interactions i think nilesh is absolutely right uh, i second him that it lies in the what, what is that term so it, only if this engagement continues will we be able to say that that enabling framework has been successful because you know the proof lies in the pudding wali baat bol rahi hai yes no but you know just one one interesting just one interesting yeah. thing and we really tried to push this agenda right through so the first conference that happened na uh, the theme of the conference the bags themselves everybody who walked out walked into the conference and walked out of the conference carried a bag that said i am part of reinventing delhi you know the idea was to kind of really make this profoundly clear to everybody that Delhi cannot be reinvented by DDA alone or by the Delhi government alone. Every citizen will have to play their part in ensuring that if a, a, a an area is meant for pedestrians, 
I'm not going and parking my bicycle there. Or I'm not going and actually parking my car there. There are cars parked in Delhi on pavement. You know, so there is, it's not so much a question of somebody enforcing law and order, but the feeling of social contract that needs to uh, be a part of every citizen of Delhi to really make it a better place. And I think it's important that that part of the plan, which was really a very strong element of the plan making process, continues throughout the plan implementation. Yeah, as long, you know, many successful cities in the world are successful and, and you know, we, we saw people in agencies in London and all actually, you know, love what they do and they love the city. So that kind of uh, belongingness to the city has started happening in Delhi because, you know, Delhi generally was, has been known as a city of migrants where people come for work and all and then they leave. And they always have a home away from Delhi also. But this new generation of youth, and that's why I was talking about youth earlier, are those people who have who were born here and have grown up here and have a certain belongingness to the city. So this ownership of the plan has to be taken not only by the planning agency, but by each and every person in the city. And if that belongingness occurs, if that belongingness uh, sort of increases, gets enhanced, throughout the city, that will be the success of the plan. It, it surely sounds like an exciting process that uh, you guys have gone through. And yeah, it, it's fascinating. And it, uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that something like this has developed. And now, hopefully, fingers crossed, as Nilesh said, that this will go through, this energy will go through the implementation of the project as well. Thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge and expertise on these lines. We are glad that we could interview you and get more information on these lines. Thank you. Thank you, Pune. Thank you so much thank for you, having thank us. You. you have been listening to Understanding the Future podcast. To know more about Climate Center for Cities, check out our website www.niua.org slash c-q The show is conceptualized, produced and edited by Punit Gandhi, Senior Associate at CQ. You can now subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel, which can be accessed through the credits. Also, don't forget to follow us on our social media for more updates. Do share your reviews with us and help us spread the podcast to your friends and colleagues. Do write to us if you would be interested in learning about any specific topics. Thank you and stay tuned for our next episode.